a safe trip out to Colorado for the Lost and Found board meeting, and we do thank you so much for praying for us as we drove out there and, and uh, was able to participate in that board meeting and just ask that you continue praying for, for the ministry of Lost and Found. What a tremendous program that, uh, that it is. This morning, I want us to continue with our Bible study on what our church believes. Last week, we talked about what our church believes concerning the Lord's Supper, and we had, um, uh, we had an opportunity during that time to explain to you that our church does not believe in sacraments, that a sacrament is a ritual that is instituted as a means of grace, and we do not participate, we do not believe in the church having any sacraments. In most churches, they look at uh, the Lord's Supper and baptism as sacraments. And we do not believe that there's any way of obtaining more grace. God's grace is perfect. God's love is perfect. And so there's nothing, once you've put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you can do to generate more grace, more love. Well, this morning we want us to talk, I want us to talk about what our church believes concerning water baptism. This is perhaps the most controversial position that we take. This is probably the position that our church takes, and this is nothing new to, to 99% of you. You already know that. That this is probably the position that we are most criticized for. Unfortunately, it's this doctrine that causes... Uh, some theologians, some churches, to want to uh, label us as a cult. Nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, as I think we're going to show, uh, a cult is a group that adds works to salvation. If anything, we're on the other end of the spectrum because we teach salvation by God's grace apart from, from nothing at all. But what I have found is that usually when people can't win the argument, usually when people can't win the argument, they can't debate the issue, they can't answer you scripturally, what they do is they revert to name-calling. And that certainly doesn't win the argument, but they try to do that. They have no answers. Had a good fr- have a good friend. Not had, but I, I still have a good friend. Uh, this guy pastors the church that, that I was, came to know the Lord in. He pastors the church that, uh, uh, that as a young man, I surrendered my heart to, to the Lord Jesus Christ and in the church that I surrendered to the call of the ministry. This guy, uh, we went to high school together. We played high school football together. Uh, I dated his wife during high school. I mean, she wasn't his wife at the time. I want to make sure you understand. Uh, she was a girl that I dated during high school. He ended up marrying her. Uh, we hunted together. We fished together. We we're close friends. And about a year ago, uh, when I was going down to visit my mom, he said, Hey, Rick, I'd like to have you preach in your old church. And I said, Stevie, I'd love to do that. Be glad to. And uh, uh, a few days later, I, 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 went and I said, Hey, uh, by the way, check out our website, our new website. And so a few days later, I got an email from him retracting the invitation to preach. And the reason for that was because of our position on water baptism. And I just thought, you know, what a, what a shame. Instead of saying, hey, let's debate the issue, it was so important to him 
this topic that's really minor to us was so important to him that he was uh, willing to retract that invitation for me to preach. I've been told by different people that we would have a much larger congregation if we would only practice water baptism. And I've had people say, it doesn't matter. Immerse or sprinkle or pour, just conform. Well, this preacher would rather be scriptural. Okay? I've been told that you grace people make way too much about the fact that you don't water baptize. I've been told that's all you emphasize. Well, let me set the record straight this morning, okay? As I mentioned last week, I've been here almost 10 years, and this will be my third time preaching on it. If this is something that we really emphasized, then you think I would have preached on it a whole lot more, right? Besides, who brings it up? I don't ever bring it up. The only reason I'm bringing it up now is because it's in our church doctrine, and so I want to make sure we all understand. If we never, if I never had to discuss this topic again, it would be fine with me. Be fine with me. As we're going to see, it's the other side that brings it up. We don't make an issue of water baptism. Uh, but, but let me tell you this, too. I, let, let, me, let me also share this with you. My desire is not to be against water baptism. My desire is to be biblical. If I believe that God's Word taught that in this present dispensation of grace that we were to water baptize, my desire, my joy would be to water baptize until I turned into a prune. If I thought that's what God's Word taught. So it's not that I have a fear of water. It's not that I'm opposed to water baptism. It's just my desire is to teach God's Word rightly divided. That's the reason why we don't. First of all, you need to believe, you need to know we believe in baptism. Okay? We do believe in baptism. We believe in the one baptism that God's Word talks about, and we're going to be looking at that in just a second. The spirit baptism that takes place the moment that a person believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are baptized into the body of Christ. It is a spiritual baptism that the Bible calls the one baptism. We also believe in water baptism. You understand? We believe in water baptism, but we believe in it in its rightful setting, its rightful place. Scripturally, there was a place for water baptism. There was a time when it was absolutely required. We're not saying that water baptism is not taught in the Scriptures. We are saying that in order to understand the Scriptures, you must believe or you must rightly divide the Word and then you'll understand why it is that we don't practice water baptism. Water baptism in this present dispensation is not for the body of Christ to participate and to practice. And I'm going to tell you why. We believe here in this present dispensation, the grace of God, that we are saved by grace plus nothing else. And in this day of grace, to add anything to God's grace, to add anything to salvation, any work is a slap, in my opinion, across the holy, righteous face of God. To add anything to God's plan of salvation is man's way of saying, God, your grace is not sufficient. 
And I'm here to tell you this morning that God's grace is sufficient. It is His grace plus nothing else. Turn with me to Ephesians. And I really apologize because my intent was to have all these scriptures listed out for you. And, and I will do that for next week. I'll have it on a sheet of paper. Um, um, and if you guys will um, come next week, I'll, I'll have these scriptures so that you can have. You can go ahead and write them down, but I want to, uh, I want to get them set up and, and written down for you. But Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Turn with me to Titus. Chapter 3. Look at verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. For by His mercy, by, not by works of righteousness which we've done. There's absolutely nothing that we can do in order to merit or to earn or to add to God's plan of salvation. You are redeemed the moment you are saved and you are placed into the body of Christ. As grace believers, if we overemphasize anything, and, and I don't think you can overemphasize this, we emphasize God's grace apart from works. We give God all the credit. We give God all the glory. And we believe the Scripture takes away in this dispensation the grace of God any of the works that man could do in order, in order for him to say, look what I've done in order to earn this. As a matter of fact, I think it's a serious danger, serious danger for a church to practice anything where people believe that their salvation has, is, is implemented or their salvation is helped or their relationship with God has, has been improved by anything they've done other than believing in the finished sufficient work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think there's a danger to that. I can't tell you how many young people I've talked to, and I've asked them, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Yes, I was baptized such and such, such and such time. Oh, the, the, the Michael Kirk, the pastor we prayed for a few moments ago, you asked about how Michael was doing, uh, had written a letter to our seminary after he came to understand the Word of God rightly divided. And literally wrote this letter with tears in his eyes, and you can you could almost you could hear the the sadness in his in his writing as he talked about the number of people that he shared the gospel with, but insisted they become water baptized, and the and the sorrow and the 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 pain that he feels for doing that because of all these people he may have left let led astray in thinking that their salvation was based on this work that this act that they had done, it grieved him to think that. I ought, to, I ought to bring that letter out for you guys to read one of these days. Oh, it's just a, it's a moving letter as he regrets that. So this morning I want us to talk about three groups, group A, B, and C, all right? In order for you to understand what it is that our church believes concerning water baptism, and in order to do that you need to understand these three different groups. Group A are those who believe that, that water baptism is not necessary for salvation, 
but they still practice it. They believe it is necessary to, uh, to be obedient to God. Well, since when was obedience not necessary? You know what I mean? I mean, that's kind of, doesn't really make sense to me to say, well, it's not necessary for salvation, but in order to be obedient, you have to be baptized. But they'll tell you it's not necessary for salvation. Uh, the Baptist, great friends that were Baptists, the E-Free and, and many of the Bible churches and all, they fall into this category. They practice water baptism, but they will tell you quickly that it is not necessary for salvation. They will tell you, and, and the reason I know this so well is because I was a Baptist pastor for so many years. I can't tell you how many times I've said this, usually just prior to dunking somebody, okay? They will say that what water baptism is is really only, only an outward demonstration, an outward showing of an inward change, that that's what baptism signifies. And I think, boy, that's a beautiful metaphor. Brother, where is that scripturally? And they can't take you to it, so it causes you to wonder, well, then that's not the reason why we baptize. Oh, okay, okay. What baptism is, is really water baptism. What water baptism really is, it is a demonstration of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. Oh, that is really pretty. I love that metaphor, and I'm really, and I'm ready, ready I'm really, I'm willing and ready to practice it for that reason. Just show me where that is scripturally. Brother, I'm ready to do it. Let me save you some time. You're not going to find it. It's not there. Well, yeah, but, but what you've got to understand, Brother Rick, what a baptism in this dispensation of the grace of God really takes the place of circumcision. In the Old Testament, now I've had them tell me this. In the Old Testament, it was circumcision. In the New Testament, it is water baptism. Wow. That is neat. Would you find that scripturally for me? It's not there. My heart's desire is not to take on the tradition of men, not to satisfy the majority of Christendom, my desire is to serve the true and living God and be biblical with my doctrine. That's my position. So group A are those who believe those, those things. They admit that it's not necessary for salvation, but it is for church membership. If you want to join their church, you know what you have to do? You have to be water baptized, either immersed or sprinkled or poured. Didn't matter which. But in order to join their church, matter of fact, I know, because I've been in them, I know some Baptist churches, Southern Baptist churches, that if you want to join their church, they ask you which church were you baptized in. And even if you were baptized in the identical manner that their church practices, if it was not in a Southern Baptist church, even if it was in another Baptist church, you know what you have to do? You have to get baptized all over again. Wow, where is that scripturally? That's all I ask. Show me where it is in the Bible. See, man likes having his part. That's what it's all about. Man likes being able to add to God. Just in case God didn't get it quite right, man wants to add 
his own method and his own way just to make himself look spiritual. And friends, let me tell you, we stand righteous before God only because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There is nothing you can do to make yourself any more lovable before God, any more um, satisfactory to God. The most righteous things you can do is this filthy rags before our holy and righteous God. How in the world can any act, any deed we perform, make ourselves any more attractive to a holy, righteous God? We can't. It's only in Christ Jesus that we stand perfect before Him. May we never, never lose sight of that. Not by works of righteousness which we've done or could ever do. But it's by His mercy as He recognizes the finished work of Christ on the cross. As He sees the death of His only begotten Son and what He accomplished on Calvary's cross as payment in full for my sin. That's how we stand perfect before the Lord Jesus Christ. I had an old Baptist preacher tell me one time when we were discussing this. He said he was... he was baptized and he practiced his word of baptism because what was good for the Lord Jesus was good enough for him. And that was his doctrinal reasoning for getting baptized. I asked him, well, I didn't really ask him if he'd been circumcised. That would have been too personal. But I asked him, I said, well, does a person have to get circumcised? Because the Lord Jesus was circumcised. The Lord Jesus was crucified. Of course, by the way, we are crucified with him. Um, but that's not an excuse. That's not a reason. And we're going, to, we're going to look at why was the Lord Jesus Christ baptized here in just a second. So you have those people, you Baptist and you evangelical free, godly people, wonderful people. I love them dearly. Some of my best friends fall into that category. They'll teach that salvation is, that baptism is not necessary for salvation. We're saved by God's grace apart from works. But water baptism is necessary to be obedient to the Lord. But it's not necessary. Group B is your disciples of Christ, your church of Christ, your Christian church, and many, many others who believe in baptismal regeneration. They believe that you have to be water baptized in order to be saved. They believe that the sanctification of a believer takes place the moment they are water baptized. That if you're not water baptized, you are not saved. That you have to be immersed in water in order to be saved. As a matter of fact, one of our students goes to a Christian church. And she's been teaching in her ladies' Sunday school class and teaching some really good things. Well, this elder came to her and wanted her to admit that water baptism was absolutely necessary for salvation. And she said, I can't do that. He said, you, I want to hear you admit before these people it was really kind of embarrassing to him because uh, she had already taught some of these people some pretty good stuff. And they, they, you know, they, they, uh, they were siding with this lady. Uh, he wanted her to admit that sanctification does not take place until the moment a person is water baptized. Oh, do you understand the ramifications of that? If anything's a cult, that is a cult. A cult is adding works. Why, why are Jehovah's Witnesses a cult? Because their salvation is based on what? Works. Why do we classify Mormonism a cult? Because their salvation is based on what? Works. Is baptism a work? Let me give you a hint. 
Yes, baptism is a work. Any group, any group that adds works that says that something that we do, whether it is, regardless of what it is, is cult. But I'm going to tell you something about this group that believes that water baptism is essential for salvation. They are more cons- group B is more consistent than group A. They're more consistent than group A. Group A kind of straddles the fence. Group B is at least consistent. Their problem is they don't rightly divide the word. Turn with me to Acts. Let me tell you what I'm, let me show you what I'm talking about. Turn with me to Acts. Chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. What, does the, what do the scriptures teach? we got lots of time. You ladies are eating here anyway, right? Acts 2, verse 38. Peter's been talking to you men of Judea, you men of Israel. And he's told them, look at, let's start with verse 36 of Acts chapter 2. Therefore let all the house... Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? He's just accused them of crucifying the Lord. He's telling them that they need to do something, and they're, they are realizing that their dastardly deed of crucifying Christ, they are going to be held responsible for that by God. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Now, folks, there's no way that you can take the Greek and juggle it around and twist it around and make it say anything other than what it says. When they asked Peter, what must we do? What can we do? What did he tell them? Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Not repent, and then after you repent and you're saved, then get baptized, as so many of my dear Baptist friends try to make that sound. It says repent and that end is a conjunction that brings it together, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. What if they just said, okay, I'm going to repent, but I'm not going to be baptized? It would have been a useless act. What if they just said, I'm just going to be baptized, but I'm not going to be repent. I'm not going to repent. It would have been a useless act. What was the formula? What did God require? Israel, repent. Repent of what? Crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Water baptism was, ex- it was imperative. It was something they had to do in order to be saved. They ha- did not have an option if their sins were to be remitted. Look over to Mark. Look to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. What does the Lord Jesus say? He that believeth and, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. 
Now, the question come, ought, to, that ought to immediately pop into your mind, believe what? Well, verse 15, it says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The only gospel at this point that the disciples understood that they knew about was which gospel? The gospel of the kingdom. The good news that the Messiah was going to establish his kingdom, that, that the desert was going to bloom as a rose, that God is going to establish his kingdom on earth. Who believes, go and preach the gospel, and who believes that the kingdom is about to be established? That Israel is going to be that blessing to the Gentiles. That God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is going to sit on his throne in Jerusalem. And he is going to rule and reign. And the twelve disciples are to sit on twelve thrones judging all the things that have been promised. The Lord said, believe in that gospel. See, it's not until the Apostle Paul that we understand that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's part of the gospel of the grace of God. At this point, the gospel that they understood was the gospel, the good news that the kingdom is about to be established based on the fact that the Messiah has come, the Messiah has died, and he's been resurrected. But they didn't didn't understand it in that fashion at that point. It had not been revealed to them. But they did understand that based on the death of the Messiah, based on his resurrection, that his kingdom was about to be established. They were glad for that, and that's what they were to believe. And as they preached that, as they taught that, what message were they to take? According to Matthew 28, Go ye therefore into all the world, doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. That was part of the disciples' job. They were to go baptizing, teaching them to to observe all things I've commanded you. What What had the Lord taught them? Kingdom truth. Kingdom truth. And then, here was the Lord telling, giving them those marching orders. And then in 1 Corinthians 1, we have this man, this Paul, who calls himself the apostle to the Gentiles, coming on the scene and saying, the Lord did not send me to baptize. Who is he to change God's marching orders? I'll tell you who he is. He is the apostle to the Gentiles who received a special, special revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ concerning this present dispensation, concerning this dispensation, the grace of God, where God is no respecter of persons, where God has set Israel, His chosen nation aside, temporarily blinded them in order that He could usher in this dispensation, the grace of God, where salvation can be offered to all Jew and Gentile, and by faith believing, they are made part of the body of Christ. Did you know in the Pauline epistles there is not one mention of water baptism? In all of the Pauline epistles, those that are written to the church, the body of Christ, this apostle to the Gentiles, there is not one mention of water baptism. Every mention of baptism is in relationship to being baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? You would think as important as water baptism was in the scriptures that we just read. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. You would get the impression that it would be mandatory. Water baptism is throughout the gospel accounts. 
But yet here Paul is, when he receives a special revelation from the Lord, water baptism is not part of that special revelation. Why? The twelve apostles who were connected to Israel's kingdom program were instructed to water baptize. It was absolutely, positively required under the kingdom program. And as the gospel of the kingdom was proclaimed, Israel was in the process of being prepared, being readied to become God's nation of... And here we go, folks. This is important. So wake up. We ready? This nation of Israel was being prepared to be God's nation of priests. Israel, God's nation of priests. Now, why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important. Israel, God's nation of priests. Matter of fact, turn with me to Exodus. Turn, turn just, just to prove that point. Look at Exodus, chapter 19. Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So the Lord was entering into this covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. You will be a peculiar people. You will be my nation of priests if you keep my commandments. And the following verses, the nation of Israel saying, yes, we will. That's exactly what we'll do. Look at Isaiah chapter 61. It's right after Isaiah 60. Isaiah 61. Look at verse 6. Isaiah 61, 6 says, But you shall be named the priest of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God, and you shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall ye boast. Israel, the nation Israel, was being prepared to be God's nation of priests. What does a priest do? A priest scripturally represents God to man and man to God. Literally, they are in between God and man, and there are priestly duties that they have to undertake. Oh, you you do, a, do a study of the temple worship and the requirements and the duties, it, it shows it clearly. They had the high priest that would enter into the Holy of Holies and would represent man to God. That's what a priest is. Israel was being prepared to receive the blessings that God is going to bestow upon a converted, a redeemed Israel where they are being the priests of God. Now, is there a place in Scripture where there are special instructions for the priests and what they have to undergo? Are there ceremonial cleansings, for instance? Are there things that a priest has to do in order to be qualified as a priest? It has to be from the tribe of Levi under the Old Testament. Yes. Yes. And you know what they all include? Water baptism. A washing. A washing. Turn with me since you're at, or close to Exodus anyway. Turn over to Exodus. 
chapter 29. Exodus chapter 29. Verse 4. We're going to do this quickly because we're almost out of time. Exodus chapter 29, verse 4 says, And Aaron and his sons thou shalt bring unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and shall wash them with water. You shall wash them with water. That was part of a ceremonial cleansing that they had to undergo. Look at Exodus 30, verse 20. Exodus 30, verse 20. And when they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the word. Wood. Water baptism is a, I mean, water is represented as a cleansing agent. And these priests were purifying themselves. It was a ceremonial, ritual cleansing that they had to undergo. Look at Leviticus. Just a few books over. Or a book over. Leviticus chapter 8. Look at Leviticus chapter 8. Look at verse 6. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. Washed them with water. What do we call that today? A baptism. That's what baptism is. He washed them with water. One more here and then we'll be finished with that part. Numbers. Look at Numbers. It's easy to remember because it's Numbers 8 also, just like Leviticus 8. Look at Numbers 8. Numbers 8, look at verse 5. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them. Okay, how are you going to cleanse them? And thus shalt thou do unto them to cleanse them. Sprinkle water of purifying upon them. There was a ceremonial cleansing that the priest had to undertake in order to be priest. Now, let's fast forward to Ezekiel. It's not too fast forwarding, but to Ezekiel. Look at Ezekiel 36. Look at verse 24. Ezekiel 36, verse 24. For I will take you, talking about the nation of Israel, for I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then God is going to do what? Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols will I cleanse you. How is he going to cleanse them? I will sprinkle clean water on you. John the Baptist comes along. What did John the Baptist come doing? Baptizing. How do you think he got his name? He came preparing the way. He came making straight the path for whom? The Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Preparing the way for what to be established? The kingdom. Matthew chapter 3, he came preaching the baptism of what? Of repentance. The baptism of repentance. He came preparing Israel to become that nation of priests that God said, Israel, you're going to become. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees did not question the fact that John the Baptist was baptizing. What did they question? His authority to baptize, but not baptize. 
but not the baptism itself. When the children of Israel were coming into the, to the river Jordan and they were lining up to be baptized, they understood what was going on. Israel was being prepared to be that nation of priests. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is what? At hand. Why was it at hand? Because the king was there. Israel was about to enjoy. Israel was about to receive. Israel was about to realize all the promises and the prophecies that had been made concerning the blessing that Israel is to be upon the earth and will be one day. So John the Baptist came preaching the baptism of repentance. Now, here's an interesting thing about that. In John 1, well, actually in all the Gospels you have this account. And you can go to to Matthew chapter 3, and I'll have these verses. We don't have time this morning to go into all of them. But um, um, in Matthew chapter chapter 3, uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Luke chapter 3, verse 3, John 1, 26 through 31, all talks about John's baptism, the purpose behind John's baptism. And in John, the Lord Jesus Christ comes to, uh, to John to be baptized. And John says what to him? I'm not worthy. <laughs> I'm not even worthy to tie your shoes. I, 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 sh- I have need to be baptized of you. And he says, suffer to be so for now. Why? So that he could fulfill all righteousness. Now keep in mind, John the Baptist was preaching the baptism of repentance. Israel, repent and be baptized. It was being preached. It was being proclaimed. Israel was being readied. Leave your sinful ways, Israel, and come and and prepare yourself for those blessings that God's going to bestow upon you. And the Lord Jesus, who was the sinless, perfect Lamb of God, came and was baptized. How do you explain that? Let me tell you how to explain it. If Israel is being, if baptism is the ceremonial cleansing, was instructed under the Mosaic law that they had to do. And the Lord Jesus Christ, one of his titles is what? High, high priest. He is the high priest. Now, even though it was the baptism of repentance, Christ says he's going to be baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness, that water baptism. He was sinless. He was perfect. He didn't need to repent. But what if he had refused to be baptized? What would he have done? He had broken the law and then not been perfect. He had to obey the law. He had to submit to that water baptism in order for him to step into that position as Israel's or the high priest. Under the kingdom program, it was required that Israel submit themselves to that water baptism. So John the Baptist comes preparing the way, establishing the kingdom as Israel is being called to be God's nation of priests. And when Peter says, you men of Israel, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, Peter was still in the process of obeying God and offering the kingdom to the nation of Israel. That offer was still viable. That offer was still on the table. And it stayed on the table until Israel committed the unpardonable sin by stoning Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, and rejecting the Holy Spirit. See, under the kingdom program, word of baptism 
was absolutely, positively necessary. But in this present dispensation, according to the Scriptures, quickly, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Is the church spiritual Israel? I hope you'd say no. Okay, thank you. The church is not spiritual Israel. The church has its own standing, its own distinction as the body of Christ. Will God fulfill His obligation and plan and purposes for the nation of Israel? Yes. But in this present dispensation, there is a baptism. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Look, look at verse 4. And there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. There is one Lord. There is one faith. There is how many baptisms? One baptism. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made all to drink of the one Spirit. The one baptism for this present dispensation is the baptism that takes place the moment a person believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Holy Spirit, they are placed into the body of Christ, and they are sealed there until the day of redemption. That is the one baptism for today. To practice water baptism that pertained to the nation of Israel and was a demonstration that they were being readied to be in the, God's nation of priests is a distraction. A distraction. From, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's a gift of works lest any man should boast. Why don't we water baptize? Because it's not scriptural in this present dispensation of the grace of God. See, we are group C. And I like to think that C stands for correct, okay? Just in case you're wondering. We're in group C. Correct. Nowhere in the Pauline epistles is water baptism mentioned. Romans chapter 6, Galatians chapter 3, it all talks about the spirit baptism. Paul baptized early in his ministry during the transition period as the revelation of God's amazing grace was being given to him. It wasn't all just dumped on him at one time. It was given over a 30-year period. And there came, a, and, it, and, and it, early on, yes, Paul baptized. But once he received that special revelation, he said, I'm thankful that I didn't baptize any more of you. Well, if he had been ordered by the Lord Jesus to baptize, how in the world could he say that? He says, the Lord did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Water baptism has no place in this present dispensation in any fashion. Sprinkling, pouring, dunking. It has no place. So church, local congregation, you need to know that you don't add anything to salvation by grace. And you need to be glad this morning. At least this is my opinion. You need to be glad this morning that you attend a local assembly that adds nothing to God's glorious plan of salvation. That all glory and all credit and all praise goes to the one who died on Calvary's cross, who rose from the dead, 
we declare that salvation is, God, is by God's grace through faith plus absolutely nothing. And there is nothing that can cause us to identify with God other than being in the body of Christ. And we, by the way, identify with His death, with His burial, with His resurrection, with His ascension, with His circumcision, with His baptism. You realize that? In the body of Christ, we're covered for all of it because of who we are in Him. What we declare to you this morning is such a glorious gospel. What do you need to do to be saved? Stand up and walk forward? No. Stand up and get dunked? No. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in Him. To get you to heaven? Yes. Yes. Let's pray. Father, this morning I'm so thankful that you love us so much that you're willing to save a worm such as I by your marvelous grace. Father, my heart's desire is to preach your word in truth, correctly, never in error. Father, I do, never, I do not want to teach a doctrine that is not according to your word. So, Father, give wisdom, give instruction, give guidance as we stand and teach these truths. And Father, I'm thankful this morning that salvation is by your grace. Father, I'm thankful that I don't have to do anything in order to, to gain heaven. Father, it was accomplished by the only one that could have brought it to me anyway. That's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray this morning if there's anyone here who's never trusted you as their Savior, that Father, they'll come to realize that they're sinners, that they're on their way to hell. But there is a remedy. It's by trusting Jesus Christ as Savior, by believing that He died and paid the penalty for their sins that He took upon Himself payment in full for their evil, wicked deeds that they've done, and that death could not hold Him, and that He rose from the grave, and He ever lives to make intercession for them. And may they trust in the finished work of Christ this morning, right where we're sitting. May this be the day that we're made new creations in Christ. And we pray these things in the name that's above all other names. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.